sewing machine. For buttons. Buttons brewing, get it? Ah, oh, you try and come up with an amusing sound effect to kick off the world's best craft beer podcast every week. It's not as easy as it is as it sounds, my friends. Uh, welcome to episode 123 of the Cool Room Podcast. The friends in your ears who talk about beers. Uh, we've got an excellent episode coming up today. Uh, we sit down with Josh from Buttons Brewing in Tasmania and learn all about his beers, his inspiration and uh, do more than a little bit of plugging for the Tasmanian uh, food and tourism industry. It's a fantastic part of the world, so if you ever get the chance to go down and visit him, we would highly, highly recommend that. Uh, it's been fantastic to have so many people joining us live in the Zoom room and so many people downloading us all around the world. Uh, it means a lot to us. It's why we do it. It's good fun to see uh, the podcast popping up in all sorts of weird and wonderful places. Uh, please do subscribe on whatever platform you listen to the podcast on and please make the most of the opportunity to buy and taste the beers alongside the podcast. Uh, We've got a very special little deal for you this week. Uh, we still have seven Buttons tasting packs, which contain seven great Buttons beers. Uh, they're on our Shopify, which you can find by uh, Googling Cool Room Podcast Shopify. They're normally $42 for the seven beers. But if you type the word sewing, as in sewing machine, uh, into the comments section when you purchase, uh, I'll refund $7, so it'll be just $35 for seven awesome Buttons beers. Uh, just a little thing that we're going to try to see how many of our podcast uh, listeners uh, can get on board and grab those great beers. Uh, we've got some more great events coming up. I won't list them all right now, but if you're not already following us on Facebook or Instagram, Make sure you do so, that way you won't miss out on the opportunity to get some pretty amazing beers from right around the world uh, and have them right ready to go when you either listen to the podcast or join us on Zoom. Okay, my friends, having said all of that, let me handball over to Travis, who's going to kick off our discussions with Josh from Buttons Brewing. Welcome to the podcast, Josh from Button Brewing in Tassie. Um, how are you, mate? Very well, and thank you for having me on. It's a, uh, a, it's a nice Sunday afternoon here in Melbourne. Um, I'm guessing it's probably a nice Sunday afternoon where you are as well. Um, Not too bad. We are going to start talking about the first of our beers very, very soon, which is the Northwest Draft Colf. Before we do that, though, we love to get our guests to paint us a bit of a picture and uh, explain to our overseas listeners and our interstate listeners um, where you guys are located and uh yeah it's a beautiful part of the world down in tassie so uh make it sound good mate where are yeah. you guys located give us a bit of an insight all right well um buttons brewing is from a town called alveston in northwest tassie so we're up on the coast um a lot of people know where devonport is because it's the spirit of tasmania uh ferry terminal so it's basically 15 minutes west of Devonport on the coast. Um, nice little town. It's got everything you need, um, plus a brewery now. <laughs> it's it's a nice little quaint town, isn't it? It's um, I don't. Last time I was in Alberton, I don't think you guys existed. So, which is a a real shame because <laughs> Alberton was calling out for a brewery. I reckon. Yeah, yeah. So we we moved to Alberton about 10 years ago. Um, it, the whole northwest uh, coast area of Tassie is very agricultural focused, a lot of um, good farmland. So my wife and I, we studied ag science and we got jobs in agriculture in and around Olveston about that 10 years ago. And um, the big thing I knew that was missing was good beer. There was plenty of pubs, but um, they're all just selling the same stuff. So nothing with any flavour. Um, so yeah, that's where where I came in. Unreal. We we'll, we're going to talk about more of the story and the journey as we we go on with this record. But uh, hopefully, everyone in the Zoom room and everyone that's listening to the podcast version have got the beers or can get the beers. Uh, they've cracked the first one. Northwest Draft Colts, mate. Why are we starting on this one today? Well, I guess in terms of the ones that we were 
wanting to drink out of the range. Uh, the Northwest Draft is, I guess, the the most easy drinking, the one that doesn't have as many hops. And I think if you're going to drink a sequence of beers, you should always drink from the least hoppiest to the most hoppiest because they'll just strip your palate and you won't be able to taste anything. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the Northwest Draft is a good starting point, I think. It's a delicious beer to start a Sunday afternoon session it's, with, I've got to say. Yep. I was thinking the exact same thing there, David. It's um, it's good to have a Sunday afternoon drinking session uh, in the cool room. Uh, <laughs> Aussies, we, you know, everyone out there drinks a lot of this style of beer. Um, and for the most part, they probably don't even realise it. Uh, what are the advantages or disadvantages of calling a beer a cult? Like, where, where did that come from for you guys? Yeah, so we we initially brewed the Kolsch um, for that reason that obviously there's those the beers out there like Furphy and the likes, yep. um, plenty of good, um, plenty of Kolsch's out there. And we just, we found that that style of beer is the perfect bridging beer for people to move from a, the typical Australian lager over to something a little more crafty, a little more hoppy, a little more bitter. Um, so we we wanted that beer in our range that could kind of be that that bridging beer that people who like craft beer can still drink and appreciate, but also those new drinkers who typically just drink their your standard Australian lagers will still enjoy. Yeah. Um, in terms of, in terms of the name Kolsch, we we were conscious about calling a beer a Kolsch and confusing customers, which is the main reason why it's called Northwest Draft. Kolsch. <laughs> so the, that that word draft is the main reason why we sell most of a lot of this beer, I think, because people just come, they, they see the word draft, especially being from Tasmania. You've got Bogues draft, Cascade draft, yep. Carlton draft. It's just that word that people recognize. Is it, um, is it the biggest seller in your brewpub? Yes. Yeah, it is. Yep. Yeah. Um, this one and probably our short street lager as well. Um, just being the fact that that one's a mid strength, we sell quite a lot of that one. But this, yeah, this is our biggest seller down at our brew pub. Um, give us a a bit of a virtual tour of the brew pub. You're you're sitting in the brewery at the moment. Um, yeah. You know, what's what's the setup like? How many taps have you got? Well, I'm actually sitting up at our uh, other second brewery. Well, our first brewery, I should say. So we've got two. This one's up in Short Street, which is up in the um, kind of industrial area of Alveston. This is what we had initially that we started with. So this one's a um, thousand litre brew house with thousand litre tanks. And then we got the brew pub. Secondly, we took over the rest bar and restaurant down at the wharf in Alveston. And we've just recently put in a 500 litre system down there. Um, and that's got 16 taps. Uh, down at the wharf in Alberston, was that once a, another restaurant? A pretty, it's a pretty big footprint. Yeah, that's yeah, right. I, so yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. So it's quite, quite a, oh, it's probably a 10 year old building now, mm. but it's, it's quite a new building, the, the wharf precinct, which is council owned. Um, and, Prior to us taking it on, it had a fine dining sort of restaurant set up, yep. um, which we took on and just brought the whole vibe right down, made it very casual, um, and it's, it worked really well. Do you uh, do, you do uh, sort of food there as well? I mean, obviously, you're not doing fine dining. Like, from if my memory serves me correct, the fine dining at that place was pretty fine dining. Yeah, um, it was, yeah. So we, we've, we've just made it very casual with burgers, pizzas, you know that sort of pub food. Good stuff. Yes. I can't, I now want to come back to Olsen. <laughs> yeah, you should. <laughs> <laughs> um, back to the beer, um, mm-hmm. or beers. We'll uh, we'll we'll touch on a little bit more as we we go along. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the Tasmanian craft beer scene, um, and in in fact about the the food and the industry in Tassie in general? It's got yeah a lot of people including our listeners, especially from overseas, probably don't even realise that Tassie has such a decent-sized craft beer scene. Yep. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely exploded. Um, when we first started, it was probably 
you know, it was part of the explosion, but it's continued since then. Um, Hobart in particular um, start probably started that that trend and has a lot of really good brew pubs that we always thought Alveston needed. Um, so Hobart's led the way, that's for sure. And we're starting to see now um, down the coast, uh, since we've started in Alveston, there's another one that's opened up in Penguin, the next town along, and Burnie, the, the next town along, plus de- soon to be open in Devonport. And also Launceston now have one that's in the works that's about to um, open its first brew pub as well. So it's it's still expanding. And it's funny that, especially down on the northwest coast, a lot of people still don't really know about us or know what craft beer is. (laughs) And And there's a wide range of other great wineries and distilleries and things as well down there for Tassie as well, isn't there? So if we, you know, without... Sounding like we're from the Tasmanian tourist uh, board. <laughs> um, it's a pretty amazing foodie experience, particularly overseas listeners who may not be as familiar with it. It's um, it's a great place to go and eat and drink. Oh um, uh, yeah, a wide, wide range of things. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, we've got yeah. some. We, we've got some great. The, the great thing about Tassie is that you come here on on a holiday and you can literally just drive everywhere within a couple of hours. So mm-hmm. I think that's got. Uh, um, yeah, that's got something going for us. So you don't have to go too far to experience everything. Apart from your your own brewery and beers, what are some of your favourite uh, watering holes for craft beer down that way? Um, well, I I lived in Hobart for the four years that I did my ag degree, and certainly down there places like um, the New Sydney Hotel and the Winston were very good. Um, since then, Shambles and Hobart Brewing Company have, have popped up and they're fantastic as well. Um, but also, yeah, St. John Craft Beer in Launceston was always a big one for me. Yep. That's uh, always my go-to place when I go to Lonnie. Yeah, they were pioneers for, for the north of the state mm. for sure. Yeah, yeah. And um, how did things... Uh, I feel like we're, we're going to get to a point where we don't even have to ask this question in the courtroom anymore, but how have you guys fared over the, the last few couple of years with COVID and you know, Tasmania has kind of been to a degree isolated from it, from the mainland, but um, how did it go for yeah. you guys down there? Yeah, I think we've had a pretty good run. The, the things I see on social media of, of other um, breweries on the mainland have had it very tough. So we had that that first initial lockdown in March 2020. I think that was three months. Um, that that was pretty tough. We, um, you know, there was a lot of uncertainty. We didn't really know what what was happening, what the future was. So we pivoted a lot to to packaged product. Um, and for that 2020 year and 2021 year, we made a big effort to do more packaged product and really focus on package stuff. Um, but as it turned out, we didn't have another lockdown. So mm. we, um, the brew pub itself, yeah, just kept on going strong. Uh, we had the density limits. We had mask mandates, vaccine, all, all of that. But it's, it's kept going really strong. And the reason for that is local support. Yeah, that's you know, we, haven't, we haven't been able to have tourists down here. But the fact that it's we've still been nearly booked out every Friday night, it just shows that local support has been fantastic. How amazing is that, guys, to hear that they didn't, you guys didn't have another lockdown for us in Victoria? That's just like it's unbelievable. <laughs> it's almost unbelievable and uncanny. It's um, yeah, Hobart had yeah. another snap one, I think a three day one, but no, we we didn't have another one. No, touch wood. <laughs> Touchwood, hopefully we, uh, we're through all this and we can, you know, I mean, we can all get down to Tassie now and hopefully, uh, you know, by the time everyone's listening to this episode of the podcast, they're, uh, they're booking their flights and getting on the boat. Yep. And there's a real sense of, of, of place with your, with your brand and, and beers. How important is, like, representing that area that you work in? Yeah, well, it was pretty much, it's, it's the main... I guess, um, vision of, of our business, really. It's the reason we started Buttons Brewing was to give the Northwest and in particular Alveston and surrounds 
a local beer option. So the name Buttons Brewing comes from, um, there's a main creek that runs through the middle of Olveston, Buttons Creek, and the big main beach where the surf club is, is Buttons Beach. So there's a real connection to the town. And yeah, you know, the name like Northwest Draft, you know, the reason we did that was because we wanted to be a local beer for the locals. So yeah, that's been a, a big part of our business. Do you um do you do some heavy stouts over the winter months because it gets damn cold in Alveson from memory? <laughs> yeah, well, I think every brewer would say that stout seasons all year round, but um yeah, it does get very cold and we do do a stout. We do do a a stout in winter plus black IPAs and porters and everything else in between. Sounds awesome. I think I'm coming to Olverston in winter. Yeah, sounds, sounds like a good little cool room trip that we can take. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. We should just get the boat over, David, and just um, yep. I'm liking the sound of this already. We are we're going to move on to our next beer very soon, and I don't know how everyone else is going, but I've smashed through this. This is absolutely delicious. Um, and from the look of Warren, he has smashed through yeah, his. I'm, I'm right in there. Yep. For the Warren, yeah. I think I'm hand, handing over to you to do yeah. the session ale. Let's do it. Um, we've got four beers today, guys, so uh, make sure you, you keep your pace steady. Um, <laughs> but they're good, to... they're, they're, good, um, they're good beers to have for a, for a four-beer four, four day, like four-beer Sunday yes. session, because, you know, we're, we're, not, we're not going head first. We're not smashing, we're not smashing those those porters and stouts and imperial stouts with yeah so it's nice it was, i think I, a good i way wasn't sure how i was going to fare in this sunday session because i finished my night last night with a triple ipa from stone um oh, yeah. probably not the smartest move no i i finished my night with uh a slushy um margarita like from <laughs> well mate my mate was having their 40th so <laughs> and they had Back to, to the beer then, I reckon it was. <laughs> <laughs> Over to you, my friend. So the sea spray, so sea spray session out. This is awesome. Um, let's go on a little tasting tour. Tell us about tell us about this beer and what we should be expect as we as we sip along to it. Well, yeah, sea spray is the it's it's the newest addition to our core range of the six beers. Mm-hmm. Um, it was released. Oh, when was that? A little while. Yeah, uh, spring last year. Yep. So, so Sea Spray was, we used to have an XBA mm-hmm. um, in our core range and it was a 4.6% XBA and it, we sort of didn't really sell too much of it because we thought it sat too close to our pale ale offering. Mm-hmm. So what we wanted to do was to try and create that XBA flavour but in a mid-strength option just to give a point of difference for the beer. Yep. Um, so that's basically what it is. It's very similar recipe to our XBA, but um, obviously the malt is toned down to achieve 3.5% rather than 4.6%. Yep. And then the hops, uh, the bitterness and the, and the hop additions are also toned back to, to help balance out, uh, yeah, the, the, the lower malt. Um, that's yeah, and that probably brings us nicely into the next question, which is when you've got three and a half percent to work with, and it's a, it's something we've spoken about on the podcast before. Um, when you've only got that that ABV to to work with, what are some of the challenges you come up with, and how do you tackle that? What do you do to to kind of make up for the difference? Because it, it does make a difference to flavour that that you know one and a half two percent. Yeah, so the main. The main challenge, we did a few little test batches of this one. Uh, the main challenge is if you want to get a nice hop uh, aroma and flavour out of a mid-strength, it's, it's really difficult because you need that malt backbone to, to balance out the bitterness and the flavour. Mm-hmm. So for us, we just use lots of specialty malts, um, lots of Munich in particular in that one to try and just drive up that malt backbone. Um, and then the hops we use in that one is Enigma and Galaxy. So they're, you know, they're quite citrusy and, and Enigma sort of has that real savoury flavour to it. Yep. 
So that we find that works quite well with the lower malt backbone. Mm-hmm. Hmm. We so so were a couple of the guys in the in the room with drinking uh, with drinking a lager and commenting. Yeah, it was one standard for for per can, which is a great. I think it's a great level to drink at, um, and that. It ties in a couple of different ideas that you put up. So, so you know, craft brewing in the northwest is is a fairly new thing. Um, how about mid strength beers? Is that something you, you obviously it's popular enough in the in the uh, in your tap room? Um, is that something you see growing with you guys as part of the the whole craft beer movement? And it's something you've seen grow for yourselves. Yes, it certainly is. Yeah, and that that like I said, that was one of the main reasons why we made that beer three and a half percent. Mm. Um, and since we've released it, we've seen really good sales of that one, uh, certainly more than the XBA. So the people just seem to reach for a three, three and a half percent. Um, we sell a lot of these to restaurants and, and, um, you know, cafes and that sort of thing. So yep. I think when people are out and about driving, they probably want a mid strength option more than a, a heavier one. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, when you, when you, so given that this is a new thing, I suppose, when you're working on, on a recipe for a beer, is it start with, with, your, with you know, the heavy version and then pair that back or work, rework that? Or do, do you need to start with a brand new slate? Do you need to, do you need to start fresh? Uh, a bit of both, really. It's, it's good to start fresh and then have the old recipe in the back of your mind, I guess, in terms of just numbers, you know, like um, mm. grams per litres and, and IBUs and IBUs per um, gravity units and all those sort of things that, that help out to make sure you're going to get a balanced beer. Yep. That's one of the, the main things that we aim for with our core range in particular is balance because we find that if you if you have the balance between hop aroma and bitterness and malt and alcohol percentage, then mm. it just makes, as soon as you finish that beer, you want to reach for another one again, instead of going, Oh, I'll have something else. Yeah. Um, yep. Did you have any inspirations for, for this beer? Do you have mid strength? Do you have mid strength heroes that you were, you're basing this thing on? <laughs> Um, Heroes, Heroes. Might be the title of my next album, I think. Yeah, That's I think it's bad. a pretty good one. <laughs> That's Another a band name. Add that to the the uh, the um, t-shirt. Yeah, mid strength heroes. Yeah, I think I think um, especially down here, most of our mid strength heroes are our dads. True. <laughs> 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 so, yes, so that was probably the the main reason, definitely for our um, our mid strength lager, our short street lager. You know, that, that one was brewed for the dads for sure. I love it. Did, did your um, dad come in? I'm just stepping in there. Did your dad come into the effect when you were thinking about that? Like, um, what did you grow up on when you first started drinking beer? Um, well, my dad was always a hard ice drinker in the 30 slab. And so I oh, the cubes. I remember those. Yeah, the, yeah. the, the 30 ice block. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, you you start drinking some of those and you think, geez, beer's rubbish. What's what's this about? <laughs> and um and then it probably wasn't until I was in uni I sort of started to taste something a fair bit better. And that was when Moobrew sort of started to pop up and you, you sort of started to realize the beer can be tasty. Mm. Um, yeah, and then from there on, I guess breweries like Little Creatures and Pirate Life certainly shaped the way I I wanted to brew beer. Yeah, nice. Mm. Mm. And you got the um, cleanest water down there too, so you know we've got very good water. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, we don't have to do too much to our water. Mm. That's good. How much does that shape your 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 beers when you when you like? You know, water chemistry is another theme that we often touch on in the podcast. Uh, yeah, how much do you have to adapt the water and change it to to meet what you need to do or want to do, um, or or vice versa? How much do you just go, oh yeah, we've got this water, let's just brew beers, which is which are great for for this type of water. Um, well, our water is it, it's quite um, it's quite balanced. So basically all we do is filter it 
um, to get any major particulates and chlorine out. And then we just base, you know, we add a few salts uh, here and there based on, on beer style. Um, we don't, yeah, we don't do too much with our water. Nice. Mm. Um, going back to inspirations, uh, what's your favourite, what, have you got some favourite beers that you like to drink? What do you, what do you drink when you're... When, when you're, you're not drinking your own delicious brews. Yeah, when course. you're not drinking your own delicious <laughs> and why not? Really, it all comes down to it, drink your own delicious beers. But yeah. in the rare occasion that you're not. Good question. Um, I've always I've always been that sort of person who won't have the same beer twice. He's always looking for something new. So I'll always be looking for, I guess, you know, hazy IPAs are always great. Um Plenty of uh, good quality lagers as well coming out of Tassie at the moment. Um, but yeah, in particular, if you know, if I was going to a bottle shop, I, I still probably grab for somewhere like Balta. Mm-hmm. You know, you just know it's going to be good quality yep. consistently. So, um, question from Crofty in the cool room: Cascade or boats? Mm. Well, oh, we're getting we're into f- the competition now. We're from the north of the state, so Bogues, absolutely. There's a line. There's a line halfway down the state. Then <laughs> you, you're not allowed to cross. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, no, all, pretty much all the north of the state, especially when I was growing up, it was just Bogues, Bogues everywhere, <clears throat> um, and Cascade was for the south. <laughs> Great. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad that's still a thing. Like it's it's awesome. You 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 kind of Ford versus uh, Hold versus <laughs> Holden versus Ford kind of doesn't exist anymore. You know, it's like yeah, it's Although, nice you know, that you still see Bogues in in Hobart. You still see Cascade up yeah, here every now and then, obviously. But um, locals yeah, just don't go in and rampage through the liquor stores and and break all the bottles or anything like that. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. This is um this is a good question for someone with an ag background because there'd be there'd be weird things in in uh, in like agriculture settings or maybe there's not I don't know um what's the so the traditional cool room question is what's the most confronting strange weird thing you've seen in a cool room well um, yeah yeah um we haven't seen too many crazy things in our cool room but the story of our physical cool room mm-hmm. is is kind of cool and it does actually have a link to agriculture and so when I first started out um, before I had any of this brewing equipment we were I was just doing you know 100 litre batches in the in the in the shed at home as I was sort of building up and I quickly realized that, that I'd need more space and I was working as an agronomist um, at a place called Servag in Alveston. And right next door, they used to lease this big shed, which I'm in now. And we used to just store fertiliser, um, chemicals, just grain, all this random stuff in here. And then didn't need it anymore. So the lease expired. And, yeah, I spoke to the landlord and said, can I take on the lease? And he said, yep, no worries. So... I was literally had the shed next door to where I was working full time in ag, which was pretty handy. Mm. Yeah. And right at the time that I got this shed, a cool room, uh, one of the person, one of the farms I was working with just up the hill here uh, had a cool room for sale that they needed to get rid of because it was in their workshop, which they were welding in, which means their insurance was too high. <laughs> but they had to either get rid of the welding or the cool room. So, yeah, I, me and my dad went up there and unpopped every single rivet in the cool room and dismounted it and brought it down to the shed, put it all back together, um, and it works beautifully. It's been here for ages. <laughs> How long did that process take? We love yeah, a good one. We love a good yeah. cool room story. That sounds like a hard way to do things. It took a long time, um, but it was cheap. And that's, I didn't have any money at the time. So that, that's all I cared about. Um, it was covered in red dust because the soils of the Northwest Tassie are, are you know, red Krasnazem soils. So they're very, you know, they certainly stain white cool rooms. 
and the cool room was full of spuds, seed potatoes at the time. Oh, yeah, so, yeah. I so like the had- fact that this is a first, and I think this is the first time we've ever had a, a cool room guest that's relocated an entire cool room. <laughs> I think that's absolutely like- the best. There's a reason for that. <laughs> you shouldn't do it. <laughs> yeah, guessing it's something you're not going to do do again, Josh. No, no way. It's no. ridiculous. You don't you don't realize how many rivets are in a cool room until you have to drill out every single one. That that <laughs> is a t-shirt. That we yeah. Need to make. yeah. It's yeah. yeah. It's funny. It's a lot quicker to put rivets in than it is to take them out. Yeah. Oh yeah. Absolute nightmare. And then obviously all the um, panels and all the corners are all bonded together with this sticky bonding adhesive. And it was, yeah, just oh, an absolute man, nightmare. Yeah. yeah. But we, you know, it saved, saved it me a lot there? of money. It's still, still, here. It's yeah, still it's the one you need. Right there. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people don't actually realise just how expensive cool rooms and particularly mm. all of the machinery that runs them are. I know from bitter, bitter experience, um, you know, that it's, they're not cheap things at all, are they? No, no, that's right. And when, like when, like I said, when I was starting up, we didn't have any of this gear. So we weren't, we were in the phase of testing the waters with this brewery business. So I couldn't. I couldn't afford to put in a, a brand new cool room, so. And while we have a little break from Josh and Buttons Brewing, let me tell you about an upcoming live event we're having for the cool room. Uh, many of our cool room listeners are, of course, wrestling fans as well. And we all know that the biggest day of the WWE year is WrestleMania. This year we'll be gathering together for WrestleMania and craft beer at the Flemington and Kensington Bowling Club, uh, which is in Racecourse Road in Flemington. Uh, that'll be from about 10am on Sunday the 3rd of April. Uh, always a fantastic day, always good fun when we gather together with wrestling and craft beer friends. Uh, we've been doing it for years and years now, uh, this time round under the Cool Room banner. Uh, so check out our Facebook page. Uh, there's an event up page up for that. Come along and let us know that you're coming along. It's free entry and we hope to see the room packed out with Cool Room fans. Okay, we're back in the Cool Room after those little notes and messages from some of our very good friends. We're here with Josh from Buttons and we're going to be talking Hazard Pale Ale and the Dangerous Hazard Double IPA. So we'll kick off with the Hazard and after a little bit we'll make sure that we have the dangerous hazard as well, so that we can taste the two side by side and hopefully learn even more by being able to juxtapose them. There you go, it's a word I didn't think I'd be using on a Sunday afternoon, but all good. Um, Josh, this one, this beer is pretty special to the brewery, isn't it? Can you tell us the origin story, as we might, uh, might say, about this beer? Yeah, well, absolutely. The first thing I'll say is I haven't actually tasted them side by side so this will be good oh. for me as well. Excellent. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so Hazard Pale Ale is, this is my homebrew, basically. This is the one that I spent years and years trying to perfect. Um, and it's the first beer that we released. And it's still our number one stellar by a long way. So in terms of package product, that is. So in terms of cans wholesale out of, out of Short Street, we sell double the amount of pale ale as we do any other beer line. Mm. Can you talk us through what the what the tweaking of the beer was like? I mean, obviously, you started out as a home brewer. You mm-hmm. must have made a beer that was pretty much like this. What what processes did you go to to refine it, and and why did you feel the need to do so? I guess from from what you were brewing at home. Um, so I guess it started off being. The main reason for the changes of the pale ale was probably my the changes in my perception of what a pale ale should be over the years. And I sort of started off being probably quite a typical Australian pale ale in flavour and lent, slowly lent more and more towards a US pale ale. So they're and, the and main what, changes. Can I just ask, what do those terminologies mean to you? Like, you know, different people encounter different beers from the US. What's a US pale ale by, you know? Yeah, well, I guess everyone's different, but in my perspective, it means high bitterness, 
higher hop aroma, so more dry hops, more bitterness, um, probably a little bit more malt too, in fact. Yep. So just just more more of everything compared to your your typical Australian pale ale if you're talking about someone something like Coopers or Little Creatures or something like that. So something more along the lines of a Sierra Nevada pale or something like that, if we were if people were trying to yep. find something by way of comparison. Mm. Yeah, yeah, Sierra Nevada is probably pretty similar you know if you can get it fresh <laughs> yeah. which is which is a challenge we well and truly know yeah, it is a challenge yeah well i remember you know early in the days uh there was one bottle shop in bernie that you could get quite a lot of imported beers from and every u.s hoppy beer was just totally cooked you know you could tell it just had that it's been hot um it's old and you know my perception of u.s pale to start with was these, these are horrible, but <laughs> I didn't realize that they'd been um, not treated right in transport. So um, yeah, I guess probably I, I mentioned it before the um, pirate life pale ale is, you know, that's a U.S. pale ale definitely. So that one was probably a, a big one that, that changed my, uh, the reason for the change in the recipe. And in terms of how the recipe changed, are we talking about different hops or different ways of using them? What what was sort of the changes as they occurred? Yeah, so the changes were with everything, with different malts, different yeasts, different hops. Um, yeah, the, the other big change that happened over time was obviously me getting better as a brewer and so getting better results and getting better equipment, which always... You know, if you, you make that step from bottle conditioning to kegging and forced carbonating and, you know, reducing that potential of, of oxidation, that certainly helps a lot with these hoppier beers. Um, but, yeah, the, the Hazard Pale Ale, we started off brewing something that was quite similar to the Pirate Life Pale and we sort of made a little tweak um, just to, to use Australian hops and Australian malt to make it make it a, a US-inspired pale ale with Australian ingredients. And are you getting your ingredients from Tassie or are you getting them from right across the country? Primarily Tassie, yeah. So most of our core range uses Tassie hops from Bushy Park, but um, also Victoria through HPA. Um, and then all of our malt comes from Bintani and our especially the, the main malt we use, the Pilsner malt comes from just down the road, literally 15 minutes down the road at the Koiba, uh, Joe White Maltings facility. And uh, we often hear from brewers who go out and walk down the, the rows of the hop vines to, you know, pick out them. Do you wander through the, uh, the, through the grain fields to pick out, you know? <laughs> I used to when I was in ag, when I was doing agronomy, uh, but not anymore, no. Um, I'll leave it to the to those guys, the specialists now. <laughs> In all seriousness, are there things that you learned from from that background that you think you apply to brewing in ways that perhaps other brewers just don't, you know, have that knowledge and experience? Um, definitely, I learned a lot through my ag degree that applies to brewing, and it's the main reason I started doing brewing. I mean, the first reason I started doing brewing was to make the cheapest beer possible because I was a poor uni student, that old yep. story. <laughs> um, but ag, ag science teaches you chemistry. It teaches you uh, microbiology, which is very important to understand how yeast and bacteria work and also sanitation. So yes. all of those things combined definitely made me want to brew all-grain beer and I think was a main contributor to making good beer. Um, we, you know, we have a number of home brewers who listen to the podcast. In fact, when I say a number, we have hundreds of home brewers who listen to the podcast. I guess it's always interesting to hear how people's, you know, progression, you know, goes through that that home brewing from from kits to all grain, as you say. Do you remember if there was there a time that you stopped brewing beer simply because you were a starving uni student and moved into <laughs> making fun beers that you really wanted to try and couldn't get? Is that sort of part of the process? Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, when we first started, it was a classic example of me and my brother down at uh, down in Hobart buying the Cooper's kit, whacking a 
a, a, you know, a kit and kilo thing together and are coming out pretty good. And I was thinking, wow, you know, calculating the cents per bottle and sitting, <laughs> sitting there drinking it and thinking this is fantastic. And then not really knowing much about sanitation and cleanliness, whacking the next batch in and it's just been absolutely rubbish. Yep. And after, you know. That was in first year, bottles, wasn't it? Was, was sanitation, was that no, third no. year sort of? Yeah, that's uh, right. That was third year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you might want to so you might want to contact your lecturers and say they might want to swap that round a bit i reckon but yeah yeah i think so help it help the home brewers out <laughs> uh, yeah so after cleaning all those bottles and then having to tip them out that was pretty um pretty hard so that we sort of put it on the back burner for a little while there until my uni taught me that ah <laughs> this is important um and, and when i'm a Pretty much when I moved back up into Alveston um, is when I got back into into the brewing and pretty quickly into all grain and took off from there. Um, always our home brewers, you know, want advice. Do you remember as a home brewer before you became a brewer, any advice that you got or something you learned out of that experience that you'd, you'd pass on? Um, I mean, I like all home brewers, read, read a lot of forums and all of those threads that just go deep and deep and deep. Um, so a lot of reading and the, um, I forget the name of it, the How to Brew Bible, I think it is, John Palmer, is it? Mm. All, all of that sort of thing. Um, so a lot of reading. I didn't really, I didn't speak to any brewers during that phase, so I didn't really get any professional advice up until the stage where we, um, so what happened was I was brewing. I slowly increased my size and the quality got better and better until family members sort of, and friends said, you should be selling this stuff, you know? So I started looking into it. And the first step that I found was to start doing some contract brews or some gypsy brewing. Yep. So I took my Hazard Pale Ale recipe and went and brewed it with uh, Morrison Brewery in Invermay in Launceston. And so that that experience with Paul Morrison was, yeah, really, really good. I learned a lot from that one. Um, learned a lot about scaling up recipes, about how, how a commercial brewery works and all that sort of thing. Um. You know, it must be it must be challenging for a lot of people. It's hard to sort of imagine how you how you make that jump. What do you what mm-hmm. do you think? Looking back on it, was the most challenging aspect of of actually opening the doors and and getting it underway. Um, I mean, money's always a big one. Um, we didn't. My wife and I, we didn't get any loans or anything. We we just started off with a few savings that we had. Did a few contract batches, which sort of built up the up the savings a little bit more. Um, so yeah, you know, money's a hard one. Um, yeah, but we were just—I think—we're lucky to be doing this in a time where the market's just exploding, and no more, no matter what you're producing, people seem to want it, especially if it's local. So it just took off, really. Absolutely, and you know, if people were looking to to go down the road of opening their own brewery? Would you say, yes, do it? Or more importantly, what advice would you give them? You know, is there something that, you know, a little trick and a, that you, you wish you'd known at the very start? Oh, geez. Um, I'd say yes. I'd say do it because it's, if you're like me and you really appreciate both the science and the art involved in brewing, you won't work a day in your life. Um, so, it's great in that aspect. Um, the advice I'd give, uh, I guess I'd just say, don't be afraid to get help. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Um, you know, me coming from an agricultural background, going into this, especially when we opened up the, the hospitality, the bar and restaurant, um, there was so much that I didn't know about. But the thing that hurt me the most was that I didn't know what I didn't know. So yeah, you just got to ask, ask lots of questions, get lots of help. Um, and don't be afraid to do that. Great, great advice. I think it's, uh, 
I was catching up last night with my old business partner, Rob, from Mr. Griffith's Burger Days, and we were reflecting on all the things that I didn't know when I started out in that world. And um, you you really do not know what you don't know until you get into yeah. that kind of situation, do you? Yeah. Shall we open up the dangerous hazard to have it alongside the hazard? Um, I'm really looking mm. forward to this. Oh, I thought you'd never ask, David. Mm. Um, you can, we will now hear the sound of many beers being opened. And um, perhaps, just let's. I'm, I'm going to um, just, just a little bridging question. Um, Josh, there's a couple of breaks in the background of your picture. A um, couple of barrels. What's going on there? Oh, the, the, the barrels, you mean, yeah. right back there. Um, so they're, they're um, ex-Pinot Noir barrels. Yep. Um, and we've just done some barrel ferments, basically. So they're actually wild yeast captures that we've gotten from some uh, native flowers. Oh, wow. That we sort of built up the, built up the yeast, um, inoculum on that one, and then and inoculated the barrels with that, so... That they're bubbling away. Oh, Nothing awesome. gets past Warren. Absolutely. That's our <laughs> yeah. 257 scoop. Normally we record in the evenings, and so we're used to sort of getting the eight, you know, the 830 scoop. That's our 257 on a Sunday <laughs> afternoon scoop, I think. Yeah, so they're um they're a bit of a long-term project that oh, we'll right. just sit on and and uh see where they go. They're the sort of thing that you don't know what they're going to turn out yeah. like. So what's the base but, beer that you've you've you're brewing like? What's what yeah, what's what have you done underneath all that? Yeah, uh, it's basically like a blonde ale. Yep. Base, yeah, something very neutral that that's going to let the yeast express mm-hmm. what it wants to. That's terrific. That's excellent. And can you Great remember? Question, like, Warren. Well picked up there, mate. No, no, no. There's always yeah. I, I the the best is when the brewers are sitting in their brewery because you can go have a look and just go, oh, yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it, so with just, just very quickly with your yeast capture, can you remember the different flowers that you actually, that you actually took the yeast off? Um, well, yes, there were three. One was a wild plum. Oh, so hold on. No, so, so each one of the barrels, a different yeast capture. Ah, that's excellent. Yeah. So we've got wild plum. We've got, trying to think of the third one now. Oh, wattle and oh, yeah, cool. lavender. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. That's going to be fascinating. Yeah, the lavender's really cool, actually. Mm-hmm. I reckon that's going to be good. Mm. Excellent. Shall we move on to the side-by-side? Yeah, uh, side? But but great questions there, Warren. Um, if you want to take us through a little bit of a, a taste of it, I've literally just held the two glasses up to the light, and I've got to say, you know, in the glass, they look very, very similar to each other. Yep. But why don't you take yeah, us on a, a tour and um, educate us, mate. Educate us. Okay. Well, I guess the story of the dangerous hazard was that was one of the first beers we released in our first lockdown in 2020. So we, yeah, we remember that one quite well. Um, we, we lose track of all our that... lockdowns over here. We don't know which one is one or four or seven <laughs> yeah, or 98. Right. So. So, no, that one was pretty special, I guess. It, it, a lot of people remembered that one because we just had a little a little cellar door set up in this brewery here that people could come and grab beers. So, um, And, yeah, the local support back then was fantastic. So we thought we'd do it again because it was our 200th batch. Um, you can see there on the, on the label it says it's the, the 200th batch. Um, so we've sort of done that one as a, as a special release, limited release. And like it says there, it's a beefed up version of our Hazard Pale Ale. So what that means is it's meant to, it's meant to taste like the Hazard Pale Ale but be an 8% version. And um, just to sort of go back to the, the beginnings of it, was that, you know, during lockdown, when it, and that's very much the story of how our gathering of friends here has uh, got together that, you know, during lockdown, we all got together online and we found more and more higher alcohol beers through that entire time. I've got to say, it seemed to be a, a blossoming mm-hmm. of those bigger beers. 
Um, was that partly inspired by the fact that everyone was sitting at home and, you know, didn't have to drive any or couldn't drive anywhere, couldn't go anywhere. So there was no harm in knocking back a couple of 8% beers rather than the, the normal 3.5s. <laughs> uh, I don't think we took that, took that into account, but <laughs> it just seemed to work that way that, uh, yeah, when everyone was in lock, lockdown and pretty worried about the future, they were, yeah, grabbing, grabbing the 8% beers. And um, so that's we've started to talk about some of the colour there. The the aromas should we be particularly noticing the beef, beefed up nature from that, or is it really when we come to taste them that that's where the where it kicks in? No, the aroma should you should pick up a, a little bit more aroma. The dry hop is certainly um, a fair bit more. If you talk about the hazard pale ale, the dry hop is four grams per liter, whereas the dangerous hazard is ten grams per liter. So you should be picking up a lot more of that. Um, the hops in that beer, which is Vic Secret and Cascade. I was about to ask that question. Yep. And I think we put a bit of Simcoe in that one as well off the top of my head. So that's, a, you've, you've sort of moved on to what was going to be my next question was, you know, is it just as simple as doubling the recipe, but, uh, or is it, it's obviously from what you've just said there, a bit more nuanced. Yeah, it's not, it's not a perfect double uh, because the main reason for that is the Hazard Pale Ale has a, of quite a bit of crystal malt in it. And if we sort of doubled that level of crystal malt, we would just find that that beer would just come out really too sweet or, or too caramelized. So we backed off on the crystal malt um, and just increased a lot more of the, of the base malt. And then, yeah, just played around with the hops a little bit more. Um, and, you know, just in terms of the flavors we're getting, what are the, you know, Talk us through, remember, you know, some of our listeners are relatively new to the world of craft beer. What mm-hmm. flavours should they be experiencing from, from these ones? And I guess particularly from the Dangerous Hazard. Yeah, well, the thing I like about the Dangerous Hazard is, so Hazard, the, the original Hazard is the Vic Secret hop, which is quite a pineapple flavour and aroma, paired with the Cascade, um, which sort of reduces that pineapple taste. But... What that means in the dangerous hazard, because you've got so much more of that malt, it's sort of got almost got that stickiness to it. And so with that Vic Secret pineapple hop, I think it's almost like a um, caramelised pineapple sort of on. Mm. That's what I'd get anyway. Um, we've got all sorts of fun beers in the uh, in the tasting pack. So I think we've got seven beers from you, uh, you guys all up. Um while we've sort of focused at sort of the the pale ale and IPA range of things, um, you do a much broader range of things than that, don't you? So I think we've got the, the brown, we've got a few other things. Tell us about the, the range overall and give us a bit of a flavour of what it is that you've got on tap at the moment. Okay, yep. So our, our core range that we have in packaged product is the pale ale, the draft that we tasted, the Kolsch, the session ale, the... Uh, not uh, short street lager the west coast wilderness ipa yep and the clock town brown ale so that's that's the core range which we like to think would please most people's taste you've got everything from from lager ipa dark um low bitterness high bitterness low alcohol higher alcohol so um that's our core range in terms of package product um down at the at the brew pub on tap we try to have our core range available all the time, but that's rather difficult. And then we always have seasonal seasonal beers on tap. So, for example, in the tank right now, we've got um, our Creek Juice IPA, which is a hazy IPA. Um, we've got a, a mid-strength version of our Wilderness IPA, so a Session IPA. Um, we've got, yeah, we do a Summer Ale. We do a bit of everything. Pretty much, sours. We try and release a sour every probably two months, either a fruited sour or or a hoppy sour. Um, yeah, I reckon. Oh, awesome. I reckon Creek Juice is the most Australian name for a hazy IPA I've ever heard. I love it. I was about to say yeah. the exact same thing. That is gold. I was, I was thinking creek. the same thing, except that, you know, you brew it with, you know, creek yeast or Quebec yeast so that you could oh, do a, a little play on yeah. words on that Just, one. <laughs> there you go. You, you, you don't have to so, pay me for that idea. Don't worry. 
<laughs> so the name the name for Creek Juice obviously comes from Buttons Creek, you know. Yeah. Um Creek Creek Juice. Um Yeah. There's Boy. no <laughs> we, um, Yeah, certainly no creek water in there. No, no, yeah. And I was just thinking, yeah, Trav, <laughs> someone get get on to Shepparton Brewery uh to just take a furfy tank down to the creek and just fill her up and see what sort of hazy IPA it makes. <laughs> but it's a great name. Yeah. It's a it's a really lovely name. It brings out some really, actually really nice, like, thoughts and ideas, like, despite creeks being a little bit hazy themselves. Well, it's got a, quite a cult following, actually, the creek juice. We, we release it every couple of months, and every time we do, it just sells out so i don't know if it's the fact that it's a hazy ipa or the name creek juice but we need to do it more often Bring it the the hazy range, thing, i think it's all about always about the hazy factor isn't it yeah i think so yeah. we hey we we touched on earlier about you know the name of the brewery and stuff but but um we didn't touch on your labeling um your your beers must look absolutely amazing in a fridge all lined up next to each other because they're all exactly the same yeah um, yeah. Tell us a little bit about the labelling and excuse the kid in the background. <laughs> no worries. Um, yeah, well, I'm, I'm pretty proud of the labelling because that's all me, actually. Um, nice. Because I've been been home brewing, yeah, for you know over ten years now, um, and had that idea for Buttons Brewing because my house backs onto Buttons Creek. I've had that many years to think up the label, uh, think think of the design. Um, so, yeah, I've just tweaked that over the years, and that's what it is now. So, yeah, we've got that generic printed can with just the different labels. On your on your taps, is it around literally a button, the button of the label on your taps? It was, but we've gone with square ones now just to try and get more more uh footprint i guess yeah yeah it's um i've got the four cans we drank today all lined up here on my desk and yeah it's just yeah it's really really good labeling there's you know everyone has a different take on on beer labels and we love to have the discussion but it's quite it's it's rare that you sort of you look at something like that and it's all perfectly aligned it's um yeah now it's good job good job Thank Can we you. ask just about the information Cheers. you have on the labels there? It's always interesting, yeah. you know, different breweries mm-hmm. have, you know, different amounts of information. You're very clearly labelling the style, very clearly labelling the ABV, very clearly labelling the IBU. Um, mm-hmm. You know, is there a particular reason why you like to communicate those things so so clearly up front? Some breweries squirrel all that away on the back somewhere. I think that's just being a home brewer. Um just knowing when, as soon as you see those sort of figures, you know what you're going to drink. So um, I don't know if it means that much to your average drinker, but if it helps out someone making a, a, a purchase decision, then why not? Absolutely. Now we've got, we're here live in the Zoom room. We've got a lot of our regular friends here in the room with us. And um, we're going to start to unmute them and get them to ask a, a few of the audience questions. It's a, a great, you know, we love all of our podcast listeners, but we really love everyone who joins us live online as well. It makes the, uh, the sessions what they are. Um, Mr. Crofty, would you like to unmute and go first with your uh, your questions about, you know, how, how you guys deal with the locals and the punters and connect to them? Yeah, I, I, I was actually um, quite intrigued because um, as we know, you Tasmania generally has a pretty pretty good culture of locally sourced kind of stuff, farmers markets, things like this uh, that may not exist up here in Sydney uh, too much. Uh, do, do you actually find that, that that kind of culture within Tasmania to to look for locally produced stuff actually helps you you sell your beer to to places to the punters and what have you? Yes, I, I do. Um, I mean, I haven't lived anywhere else but Tasmania, so I, don't, I can't really compare, but I know that the local support in Tassie is massive and people just seem to love talking about where they're from and especially if they, what I've noticed is when people come to our brewery, the thing they'll say is, oh, we come from such and such, there's this brewery there and we go there and 
it's just something that they're proud of. Yep. So I think that, um, you know, our local customers just like to have, be able to say that that's our brewery. Um, yeah. Does that answer your question? Not really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, because there's definitely, over, over the more recent years, there's definitely a subculture kind of in Melbourne and in Sydney um, to actually look for more, for provenance, I guess. Um, but, but this is not a subculture within Tasmania from what I've seen. It's, it's more like a V culture. <laughs> yeah. It definitely seems to be, yeah. I mean, it, if you go to any, any restaurant, they'll be flogging local produce, local beer, local wine. It's just, it's just what we seem to do down here. Yep. And that's a really good link, I've got to say, to, to Jacob's question. So, Jacob, do you want to unmute yourself and, and ask your question? We've probably got time for a couple more audience questions if uh, people want to type them into the chat just so that we know that they're ready to go. Thank you, David, and thank you, Josh. Um, enjoying your beers. Uh, yeah, no, I was just looking um, at the kind of the idea of how Tasmania trades a lot on its connection to nature in terms of its tourism and the way it sort of places itself. And I was wondering in that sort of space, have you looked at exploiting native ingredients in your beers in some way? I know places like Bright Brewery do this a little bit, but and there's also obviously a big research, or not research, there's a big interest in bush foods more generally. So I was just wondering if there's a way that you're, like you've obviously sourced local yeasts, which sounds great, but I'm wondering, is there any other sort of aspects you're looking to introduce into your beers? Yeah, well, we did a limited release last year with um, pepper, uh, native pepperberries uh, in a pilsner, which was very well received and was delicious. And we want to do that again um, and are very conscious of using more native ingredients and marketing that as a you know Tasmanian thing. Um, I think we're, yeah, we're trialling a few things with some local honeys as well. Um, but yeah, the, the pepperberries, pepperberries in beer is a fantastic thing from, from literally just up the hill here. Fantastic. Look, I guess that sort of leads through to the obvious next question as we start to move towards wrapping up and, you know, what things can we look forward to in the future? Thanks to Warren's Eagle Eye, we've got a bit of an idea about some of the projects you're working on, but <laughs> what's exciting, what's exciting you and what are you looking forward to both uh, in terms of the venue, but also in terms of what we're going to be able to get over here in, in the cans. Yeah, well, the when I first mentioned the brewery that is down at our venue at our brew pub, uh, that's sort of still in the process of being fully installed. So we're not at full capacity there yet. So this year we plan to have that one installed, which will basically, well, it'll significantly increase our capacity. Mainly... The brewery down at the wharf at the brew pub will be primarily everything that's brewed down there will be for the taps down there, which means everything in this facility where I am now will just be for packaged product, which means we'll be able to get a lot more out and we'll be able to yeah look look forward to getting more cans across the state and onto the mainland. That's that's the plan for 2022. Um, and what are the challenges about getting the beer over here and, and marketing it, you know, how a lot of people sort of go, why don't you guys, you know, why don't we see them in every bottle shop? Why don't we see them everywhere? What, what are the challenges when you're trying to get a, get a toehold? Oh, freight would be the, the main one, but um, it just, yeah, it's all about using the right people to get it over. Um, getting the quantity high enough to make it worthwhile would be the main thing. So if we can sort of, get to a stage where we can prove that we, you know, can get that quantity over there, then I think we'll be doing it. Awesome. I've got to say, you know, very publicly and very gratefully, a big thank you for getting the beers over to me and to the, to the cool room. It was, um, you know, the good people of Australia Post did their job well, but I, I completely understand the difficulties of rocking up to a post office with a whole lot of slabs of beer and um, explaining to them what you're trying to do. So um, good on you for doing that for us. We appreciate it. No problem. Thank you. Um, yeah, I'm glad that they got there safely and they're in good condition. They, they certainly are. And look, on that note, perhaps we'll wrap up just by asking, as you've got these two beers beside each other and you said this was your first time tasting them alongside each other does anything sort of jump out to you that you've sort of realized by having them next to each other is there anything that sort of 
you know, you um, weren't expecting? I've, I've actually realised that they're probably a fair bit more similar than what I was expecting. So that's, um, I guess that's a good thing when I've got the similar name. <laughs> in, the, in the Zoom room chat, someone's saying that the 8, 8% is dangerously smashable. And um, mm. I, I would agree with that. The 8% yeah. doesn't come across as a double the, uh, the ABV of the, of the hazard. Hence the name, dangerous. Yes. <laughs> now that you've tried them side by side, though, does anything change the next time you brew them? Is there anything going through your head oh, at the yeah. moment where you feel like you may need to shift something? Uh, not with these ones, no. It, it, it makes me realise that the next time we do a 8% IPA, we'll probably make some changes. Um, we'll definitely back off the, um, the specialty malts, the crystal malt again. Because um, you know that's still that's still quite sort of sticky sweet from the crystal malt, so I think um, that's probably the main learning that I've taken from that. Hmm. How's this, guys? The cool room teaching brewers something new by suggesting drinking their beers <laughs> side by side. <laughs> we'll we'll claim whatever credit. Yeah, we'll we can claim get. anything. We'll we'll take that whatever we whatever we can. Yeah, um, it's not often I'm double parked, so that's good. Usually drink, <laughs> drink a lot quicker. <laughs> um, you've been very generous with your time today. Thank you to everyone who's joined us live on Zoom. We're going to turn the recording button off in a moment, but everyone can feel free to stick around in the Zoom room and enjoy the, uh, the great beers we've got. We've still got another three or four in the fridges out of the pack, and um, we hope that everyone will join us for our March series of beers. We've got some amazing breweries coming up. So make sure you rate and review us uh, on your podcast platforms. Make sure you follow us on uh, Instagram and Facebook. And of course, importantly, make sure you buy the beer pack so that you can make the most out of the sessions that we have together. Um, Josh, a big thank you for spending Sunday afternoon with us. Thank you for having me. It was a, yeah, much fun. Thanks, thanks, mate. It's been awesome. Thank you, Warren. Thank you, Travis. One minute. Click stop.